from Perpetua's Kin. Benjamin's earliest memory shows him his mother at the dining room window with water pitcher in hand, counting out seconds after a blast of lightning. Small at table, his supper plate forgotten before him, he watches her watching on his behalf. He's learned to pretend at numbers, seeing elders tick their fingers. So he lifts hands above his plate and starts. He doesn't know the order, but pretending is comfort. Then comes noise like the ceiling ripping away. His water glass shakes. Thunder, says Mama. Not to worry, can't hurt you. Lightning, though, is different. We'll keep counting Mama and me till it's gone. His first worded thoughts. One needn't know numbers to remember, but words, words are necessary. Early on, Benjamin saw fixity in the world. Daily came the dawn, nightly the dusk. Mornings, Mama kissed him awake, and there was bread to eat, warm from her oven. Nightfall brought parlor hours and fire in the hearth. Out his window every day the boy saw vegetable patch, garden fence, the scorched mound of the refuse pile, and, beyond, cornstalk seas of neighboring farms. Every stalk tall as a man, they massed themselves up to each dooryard. In town, his father's store stood firmly at the corner of the square. The carved signboard had read their family name forever, Lorne and Son. Benjamin noticed no weathering in the painted letters, for where could not be clocked. On Sundays, Perpetua's red brick church stood in place as always. It was eternally there, walls well-mortared and granite cornerstone aglitter with feldspar and mica. The church steps were immovable when you trotted up them into the sanctuary, and you knew that the high wooden steeple of the bell tower stretched doubtless above, foul weather or clear. Benjamin could note the turning of days, riffling of seasons, transits of sun and moon, but these told no loss. To the contrary, they bore out order, recurrence, permanence. He could not have imagined what the blacked-in calendars of grown-ups betokened. Nature dubs the child immortal at birth, but she undoes her mistake. A summer night and the boy shook from a waking dream. A voice had told him he was going to die. He padded down the cold hallway in darkness, woke Mama to tell what he'd heard. Beside her, J.M. Lorne slept on without care. Or was it in heavy resignation? Harriet Lorne led the child back to bed. Sitting in the dark, she dealt him the usual motherly tenderness. No use. The fear would not go. At last, he drifted off to sleep his fear. From then on, Benjamin walked alert to the creaking of floors. Every evening the sunlight, instead of hiding under covers or going to sleep, gave out altogether. Benjamin learned to tot up the loss. Though morning brought new light, now it was just that. New, not the same light, and could never be. From the book of Ecclesiastes, Benjamin learned that the living know they will die, while the dead know nothing. 
They have no more reward, and even the memory of them is lost. The church house boomed with talk of blood, sacrifice, every man and woman's last retreat from the world. The pastor's words made the churchgoers cry aloud. Benjamin saw now. The gift, once given, would be taken back. You were mortal, and mortals must pray. Every Sunday night in church, the benches were dragged about to make a square, and as the voweled noise of a singing erupted, he would sit amid caustic harmonies. Our life is ever on the wing, and death is ever nigh. The moment when our lives begin, we all begin to die. Soon birds in whirling chevrons brought home the close of passages in the boy's days. He understood Mama's marking time by flowers that bloomed and withered on the sill. And the harvest taught him. The hordes of corn blanched a yellowish-white, clattered when the wind moved over, skeleton sea. Then the corn was cut, and looking again, Benjamin saw stubbled black fields. They broadened the horizon, but now it was desolate, uncolored, and the snows fell. See all nature fading, dying, silent, all things seem to mourn. Life from vegetation flying calls to mind the moldering urn. His parents and fellow singers held the heavy songbooks open in their laps, but seldom looked down. Their hands swung like pump handles, meant to work up from depths of fresh and bracing water. Benjamin learned the hymns and took to singing the treble part with Mama and the wives, voice bright with belief. Across the squared pews he could catch his father's eye. Though John Manfred boomed bass with the singers around him, his eyes never gleamed to match Mama's. Mark the difference. Were belief and passion woman's domain? There was no doubting women knew of reckoning, grit, getting by, like men did. But unlike men, they knew in a sinless sort of way. The fairer sex, they were called. While men seemed sinners to the last, men bashed, brooded, grudged, raged, and racked up hurts. How many times already had Benjamin watched Yuli Turner town inebriate, lope from rear of the church to sinner's bench, hair askew and waistcoat undone, grimacing sin. And how many whiskered farmers and cattlemen had stood in lorn and sun for mended boot soles or saddle horn, splattering the spittoon and grunting oaths like pleasantries. At the copper-edged counter in Perpetua's Wabash Depot, Benjamin had stood with his father, sometimes his mother, and watched Mr. Mueller, depot man, postal clerk, and operator, tapping signals into the wire by use of a trim lever key. The key made glottic clicking sounds, and Mr. Mueller's green visor glistered as he canted his head to listen. His tapping formed no clear pattern, but a body could speak to anyone in the country, even as far as California, by that method, or so Benjamin had learned. It seemed pure conjuration. 
It offered wonder even grown-ups could not forswear. The boy could think of no other thing with such a claim, whose magic would not die no matter how aged or wise a person got. The humming wires followed King Street along Perpetua's town square and continued west to the track by the depot. From there they trued themselves to the railroad. Standing in his father's store or at the depot platform, Benjamin watched them bellying pole to pole and onward to distances unreckoned. Twice, three times a day, the trains thundered through that way to vanish at the narrow place on the horizon. It always left the wires swaying overhead, droning sorcery. Wind makes him hum, his father told him. But Benjamin would not believe this. At heart, he knew the sound to be voice of a secret energy. Already, he felt eternity in the wires. He knew he might walk for hours and come nowhere nearer that pinpoint where those wires and all else disappeared. <laughs> 